Welcome in to another edition of New Track Record. Hello, I'm Caleb Hatch alongside Justin Kinney. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. A little worn out this week. Not sure why, but uh, it's the summer. It's like the dog days of summer, right? These are the dog days of summer. And, you know, when we talk about the sports world, this is the arguably the deadest week of the year, right? You get home run derby, all-star game, neither of which I really care about. You know, Wednesday, there's absolutely nothing going on. And then you get baseball uh, again starting uh, on Thursday. But, you know, in terms, you know, football's still a ways off. Basketball's done. Hockey's done. Baseball taking a break. In terms of the major sports, it's uh, it's dead time. And But at least, at the very least, we have IndyCar racing for three consecutive weekends. Yes, in a very busy time as we will start with our recap of the Honda Indy Toronto, the return for the first time since 2019. Also dive into a preview of the doubleheader at Iowa Speedway coming up this weekend as we record on Thursday afternoon. And uh, more into contract drama with Alex Pillow, of course. How could we forget that? The and, gift and, that keeps yeah. on giving. Yes, and a few little updates here and there, but it seemed to largely be a distraction with not a whole lot of new news until after the race last Sunday. So we start with our uh, three takeaways. And before that, though, let's get into Scott Dixon, the GOAT, win number 52 in open wheel competition. You have to remember one of those is in cart. The other 51 are with Chip Ganassi Racing, mostly with Target <laughs> branding uh, in IndyCar slash IRL in his career. Now, quick trivia question. The one non-Chip Ganassi win, do you know the team and the race and the year? Um, did he race for PacWest? Yes, that's the team. Um, I'm going to say Mid-Ohio. Nope, is is a track that is defunct. Oh, that narrows it down. Is it an oval? <laughs> yes. Is it Nazareth? Yes. There you go. And the, the year? The year, 1996. Scott Dixon? I'm way off. Yeah. He's <laughs> not that old. Off. No. 2000 and I'm trying to think. Uh, 2006? No, no, no. Earlier. 2002. 2001. Took you a bit, but you got there. I did. Well, you, you got there. It just feels like the guy's been around forever. It, it, it? does. And uh, what is it now? 18 years with a, a, a consecutive with a race win. You knew it was inevitable this year he was going to get yes. a win at some point, right? And, and Toronto seemed like the obvious choice for a lot of people. Yes, Penske and Andretti historically have had really good street course programs. Penske and Osho. Uh, for the most part, over the weekend, Andretti, uh, obviously strong with Colton Herta. Not that that was a surprise. We expected that. But Scott Dixon, once he got to the front, you thought he's not going to give it up. But tying up Mario Andretti with 52 career American Open Wheel Racing wins. Obviously a very impressive feat and puts him right back in the thick of the championship chase in IndyCar. So with that, let's just start with our three takeaways. And I will start with Scott Dixon. And I will say... Scott Dixon is still very much a championship contender. Very much so. I mean, when you look at who's in this race and you still feel like, what would you say, six drivers? I mean, maybe seven when you throw in Scott McLaughlin. I just don't know. 
past that. Colton Herta, what, 97 points down? Yeah, he's he's too far back. But I would say, yeah, you can easily go to Scott McLaughlin uh, as being in the running because he has multiple wins. So if you've shown that you can win multiple races already, I would say you definitely have to be in the conversation on the point standings. Or you don't have to win a single race like Alex Pillow is True. right now. True. And, and sitting in third. So, but yeah, it was a great win for Scott Dixon to, to tie Mario reasonably dominant fashion. He didn't really just, he didn't really drive away from, from Colton Herta. It was just kind of a steady two or three second lead through majority of the race. Once he got the lead uh, in the pit cycles. So, uh, just an impressive drive, just vintage Scott Dixon, right? Nothing flashy, nothing exciting, just gets to the front, drives, doesn't put a wheel wrong, dominates, and and gets the win. And now it puts Scott Dixon in fifth in points, tied with Joseph Newgarden uh, with 307 points, what, 44 points behind Correct. Marcus Erickson. Correct. And and I think you look at that top seven with McLaughlin 77 points back, that's a lot, but it's been made up before. Ryan Hunter A came from, I think, 75 down. Dixon's come back from 68 or 69 down in the past. So that is possible, but you're on the very far edge, and you're going to have to be really consistent in getting top fives and podiums and probably pick up another win or two. But with how it's been this year outside of New Garden, no one's really come away with a huge chunk of wins. Yes, McLaughlin has two, but he had such a rough patch in between those two for the most part. So Scott Dixon, he's been consistent. He's been hanging around, gets that win. I think he's very much still a championship contender. And the Ganassi team, I mean, look, they got three in the top four, considering Newgarden and Dixon are tied. So very impressive effort by the team uh, over the course of the weekend. And, you know, with all the drama that was last week, of course Scott Dixon's going to come in and show no matter the distractions in our team, I'm going to come out and I'm going to put together a perfect race by and large and show that not only is this team still competing week in and week out, but, oh yeah, by the way, Scott Dixon is still uh, a man to be reckoned with on track, winning, what, for the 18th consecutive year? Yes. Yeah, pretty impressive. Very impressive. All right, what's your first takeaway? Uh, first takeaway of this race, and let's talk about the event in general. First time since 2019 we're at Toronto, and I think we saw in the lead-up to Sunday a lot of guys, what was it, 12, 13 guys, first time at Toronto. Three of those having big issues. Callum Eilon on Friday. Or was it uh, Grosjean on Saturday? And someone else that... Kirkwood. Kirkwood as well, yeah. So... You know, it's one of the, it's a short track. It's short street circuit. It barely takes a minute around. Pillow as well. Yeah. Pillow had, and and he, you know, recovered well with the top six. But um, in terms of this track and how it raced, you know, there wasn't exactly a plethora um, amount of passing, particularly up front, but it's just, it's that track that you're always anticipating something's going to happen. And the race was a lot cleaner than I anticipated it being, especially after the early caution. I go, okay, here we go. Yeah. And never really had too many incidents after that. The the fact that you went outside of that early caution, you went basically the first half of the race caution free was surprising, but obviously cautions, precautions, as they say, that happened in the second half of the race. Yeah. So, you know, I I thought it was a, a pretty solid, entertaining race. It may not have had the drama that we thought it would, considering how Friday and Saturday went, but... You know, NBC said on Peacock that it was a grandstand sellout. It was the largest crowd that Toronto's had since the late 90s. 
at Toronto. We've always kind of looked at this race as does it ever come back after the pandemic? It has. Now we look forward and, and think this is you know a positive future uh, for the race itself. You know, it's still kind of funky with the pit road and and all the turns and twists there. And you know, you talk about who is who is P one Pato Award that. You know, we yeah. had the, the front pit spot and his team couldn't see him coming around the corner. And he had to tell him when they were when he was at the pedestrian bridge and and coming in. So it's not ideal, but it, it's quirky. And I think it's a solid venue. Of course, IndyCar needs to be racing in Canada at least once throughout the course of the season. So it was nice to see Toronto back and hopefully it has a future. Estimated crowd of 50,000. Now that's over the weekend. Yeah, there's not really a lot of seating no. around the track, really. So it, it's not conducive to a big crowd sitting in grandstands. And I will challenge the whole, oh, this is the biggest crowd since the 90s. I'm sorry. They clearly had more in the early 2000s back right. when Molson was a part of the event. They had a lot more grandstands. Right. So, just, to the, yeah, just that fact. So. Well, I am glad to see the event back. And the grandstands that were set up looked full. And I believe that grandstand tickets for Sunday were at least close, if not sold out. I will buy that. However, there are very few grandstands that are set up. And everything I've read, the actual grandstand capacity is somewhere between like ten and 15,000. That's not that many people. Right. And uh, this track, I mean, it, I get they haven't had a race in a couple years but it lacked kind of the polish and kind of the sharpness that I would have expected. Like just looking at the circuit and how things were put together. Well, it's, you know, it's a circuit that, you know, every street course is like this, but even more so Toronto, there's asphalt and there's concrete and there's, Oh, I'm not talking about the, the street. I'm not talking about, just talking about the just event talking about itself. The, just how it looked on Peacock. Like it, it looked like it was kind of cobbled together. Okay. So I, I don't know if this is just a case of you've been away for a couple of years. The stuff was obviously in storage, like it's stored at a site. And, right. But I was surprised at the lack of banners, you know, on that some is of true. the walls. Yeah. And just polish. So we'll see. I would assume it's back next year. I, I don't have doubts after how this event went, but I think there's a lot of room to grow, I guess is how I look at it. And unfortunately for exhibition place where the uh the race is takes place there's not a lot of room for growth no it's just a lot of development i mean if you go back 20 years and watch this race and and comparative compare it to to 2022 the development around exhibition place has just been uh insane and and that's kind of one of been one of the issues of the vi- the viability of this of this race going forward is the fact that they're kind of running out of room yeah, and I'm not I'm not necessarily saying, oh, it's the promoter's fault for this. I'm saying exhibition place, Toronto officials like work together to make this the best event possible. Right. Because I don't know how much support they're getting from the city itself to make this event, you know, as good as it can be. I guess oh, that is yeah. my concern with yeah. it. And I think it is imperative that IndyCar has at least one race in Canada. I think ideally you have two or three You have one in, in Western Canada, maybe even one in the Montreal area or something. Like that. I mean, there are tracks in Canada, mind you yes. now, obviously with a street circuit, you have harsh winters in Canada. It's been a couple years, so it was rough, but they, they made the circuit work. It just, it did not present itself 
as clean and as polished as I would have expected. I'm not saying it needs to look like an F1 street circuit. That's not what right. I'm saying. But it just it looked more cobbled together than I would have expected. Hopefully they can shake off the rust and and present a a more polished atmosphere for 2023. But what would be your second point, Mr. Hatch? All right, second takeaway. Let's talk Alex below. So after the weekend, he had a, a lot of issues. One, he's got to face the media bullpen, and there was a crowd, of course. There was a lot more people a, than A huge usual. crowd. NBC actually showed up. I mean, that's not something they typically do uh, with reporters. But so he faced that. He had a, a practice crash. He had qualifying issues, right, in, in the qualifying session where do they ever determine what that was. I don't remember hearing about it, but so he, his car stopped on track, right? Yeah, so there was an issue. Of there was sort. an issue. So you, you have all that combined. You start all the way back in 22nd, basically setting yourself up for a disaster of a weekend after everything that came out earlier in the week and to salvage a sixth place to me. I mean, that's really impressive. You're third in the point standings. You're very much in the championship hunt. Uh, with getting that that top six finish and all the distraction and everything and to have the tough qualifying spot and still to put together a really, really solid result. I mean, I guess I have to say kudos. I would think so. I think that's how championships are won. And, you know, he did it last year and he's the only driver in the, what, top eight or nine that is in points that still doesn't have a win, doesn't even have a pole this year. 37 points back. I mean, he's very much in yeah, the Yeah, if he can get a couple wins, he could win the championship. He could maybe win the championship with only one victory at this point. Who knows? But uh, it's a testament to to him and that team, quite honestly, to rally around and, and even facing some early adversity in the weekend to come home in sixth. And, you know, I don't think we got really any true answers over the weekend in terms of the situation. If anything, we have more questions but at least for this weekend, or this past weekend in Toronto, and this weekend at Iowa, Alex Pelos in the seed, and I feel like maybe he at least carries out the rest of the season at this point with Ganassi, unless things really hit the fan. Yeah, I, I think, look, if he finishes out the season, which we expect as things play out, he'll have every opportunity to win the championship. And look, it... it there are some funny things that happened on the way there. I think there's a story. Yeah, Marshall Pruitt tweeting out uh, the two IndyCar teams on the same charter flight from Indy to Toronto, Aaron McLaren SP and Chip Ganassi racing. Go figure. But he, he goes on to say, the good thing here is the men and women who work on the cars are tight and friendly, so there's no drama to be found among the crews. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, look, yes, there's drama between Zach Brown and Chip Ganassi and Alex Blow, but the crews, I mean... They have a job to do. They want to win races. They want to do as best they can. And it didn't seem to be an issue beyond just the media talking about it over the course of the weekend. I agree. I feel like, you know, I, I when it came down to it, the teams and drivers went to work. And, you know, while the media, and I understand because this is all really that what's been talked about the last couple of weeks, want to continue to harp on it and, and stuff. Professionals are able to put stuff aside and focus on the task at hand and at least those teams and drivers were able to do it at Toronto. Oh, and how could I forget? There was apparently other drama, and I'm not an expert on this stuff, but apparently his management uh, 
bought up like his social team bought up a, a YouTube account that has like 150,000 yeah. followers that yes and then yeah. scrubbed it and then it was gone just as quick as they had bought it up because people pointed it out online and it's just it's wild how many things happened again this is all leading up to the race weekend yeah. all this happened and it's just not like a huge yeah. deal but at this point Alex Pillow's putting a lot of trust in people in this whatever management team this is and who it involves and, and and all that with you know trying to develop fake social media accounts for him and it was a YouTube channel that Alex Pillow's team would put out videos of him and stuff that had like a couple hundred views but he had supposedly 150,000 followers or something on this it was basically bogus and I would blame his team his management team, quote unquote, for a fair amount of this Ganassi McLaren drama as well. So I don't know where Alex Pillow goes from here, to be honest. I don't know where he's 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 racing next year. All indications are with McLaren somewhere. But I do feel like Alex Pillow is being manipulated by certain elements of that management team that are maybe doing things the wrong way than what Alex would like them to be. His management said in a statement to Nathan Brown and the Indy Star, they're not aware of any official Alex Pillow page on YouTube and certainly not related to it in any way. So that was after it w- the page was uncovered and then scrubbed. So no such thing came from us. So not from his team, but yeah, it very bizarre that all of this happens around the same time, but th- I guess that's how these things go, right? I mean, the fact that he's got a management team, like I'm sure plenty of drivers have, you know, managers and agents and stuff, but, you know, to have quote unquote team, you know, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. I don't see very many other IndyCar drivers with this mysterious leadership team behind them kind of. They'll have buttons behind. They'll the have scenes. a contract out for for marketing and you know with social yeah, media and video for sure. But for it's, them. Just, it's just kind of weird that you know. Look, Alex Pillow's won a championship. I'm not taking that away from him, but in terms of the established drivers in this series, he's kind of on the younger end of that. And to have this drama going on is just kind of bizarre. And I, I'm I'm just wondering how much has been created and fermented by this mysterious team that's supposedly in his corner. Yeah, let's quickly just get to that management team. So Monaco Increase Management, or MIM, that is the name of it that that he has. And they they've they've worked with other drivers. I mean this is it's not new for them, but they're based in Monaco. They have about a half dozen people. Pascal Werlein, who raced two seasons in F one, um, has been part of their their team so they have experience w- with drivers they've worked with Polo for a while and now you just kind of wonder because they they want to get him to f1 is the the understanding so this from nathan brown and the star mim ceo is salvatore gandolfo he was the racing executive at the time was helping run european junior formula juggernaut campos racing so they they race what in i think f2 or f3 Definitely heard of him. I think Connor Daly raced for them at one point. Okay. Um, but launched a, a bid with partner Adrian Campos to join F1 as Monaco F1 racing team. But uh, that project did not get off the ground. And Polo and Werlein likely would have been the drivers for that. So there are a couple other advisors as part of this team. 
and they're not well known in the IndyCar paddock. In fact, Brown says, who's managing Alex was an all too common question. I got in Toronto word finally circulated that MIM had recently been unable to agree to new terms with ex IndyCar driver, Yodger Yasakawa, Pelot's manager. Now we knew that, right? So that just makes it, I guess, all the more weird, all the more confusing. And you know, if, if your goal is to get to formula one, that's fine enough. And that's great. And all that stuff. And if your management team is working towards that, that's great. But Majority of drivers don't last long in Formula One, right? So after your Formula One career is over, whether it's two years, four years, six years, and you want to keep racing, if you've pissed off and burned all bridges on the majority of bridges in IndyCar, then you're not going to be going back there. And how many drivers do we see coming from Formula One to IndyCar? If Alex Pillow, if this scorched earth policy of, you know, creating fake accounts and pissing off your your owners and and you know signing multiple contracts and all this if if you leave this path of destruction in your wake departing indycar good luck getting a ride when you come back and back to that youtube page that's since been scrubbed so the contact email for it was traced to ex-team usa gymnast sean johnson yeah you remember her (laughs) so they're the new lifestyle media company family made media so that's the weird tie-in so uh, again they deny any involvement with with that page but who knows yeah right anyway let's move on what's your second i have a second point uh let's talk alexander rossi a little bit it was another weekend that you thought okay could rossi potentially get a victory for the first time in three years qualified well showed speed and pace in practice and then runs in to an incident with felix rosenquist and finishes 23rd and rosenquist ends up third and once again you know steering wheel knocked out of rossi's hands you know they talked a little bit about on the peacock broadcast about the custom grip and if it's not you know formulated exactly to rossi something going on but I think you and I were texting back and forth, you know, on Sunday about these incidents. And last, you know, last race, it was Grosjean and Rossi, right? Toronto, it's Rossi and Rosenquist. And I think what we're seeing is over time that drivers are racing Alexander Rossi the way he races them. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with how Rossi races. There's nothing wrong with how other drivers race Rossi. But it's that give and take. You know, and with Rossi, you know, elbows out type driving, that's great and all, but you also need to expect that from other drivers. And Felix Rosenquist, I don't think did anything wrong in that in that situation. He had the inside and got a little loose coming out and tapped, uh, you know, Rossi, and he ended up into the into the tire barrier. And it's the same situation, just the the roles reverse between Rossi and Grosjean at Mid Ohio. I mean, yeah. Rosenquist hit a bump, overcorrected, lost the steering wheel, contact with Rossi. Rossi's into the wall. And like you said, I I fully agree. Look, it was a racing incident. Rossi was on the receiving end instead of the giving end, like he was at at mid-Ohio. And just like Roman Grosjean's going to be raced harder than anyone else in the field, Rossi has set himself up where... He also, because he is more of a no-holds-barred, no no give-or-take right. when it comes to position, he's also going to be that. Now, he's not to the level that Grosjean is, I don't think, at least reputation-wise, right. among other drivers in the series. But they didn't call penalty at Mid-Ohio, right? 
on that. Correct. And I'm glad and they didn't I'm, call I'm, a penalty yes. here. I'm glad I'm glad for the consistency, right? We we talked so much about um race control and inconsistency with calls is look if it wasn't an, a, a penalty with Rossi and Grosjean, then it shouldn't have been a penalty for Rossi and Rosenquist. And thankfully it wasn't. Yeah, consistent there. And also uh, an actual clean race start. Yes, it was. And, you know, <laughs> halfway decent lineup. And, you know, I thought it was a good start. But, you know, going kind of back to Rossi and we said, oh, it's a benefit for him because he knows where he's going to race next year at McLaren. But I think you're seeing him, especially with Felix Rosenquist, who has something to prove to McLaren because he wants to be an IndyCar. He doesn't want to be bumped to Formula E. And I think as this season goes on, you're going to be racing more and more desperate drivers that are looking for positive results and positive moves and and maybe more desperate driving. And I think that can be a negative for Rossi because he's not really driving for 2023 where there's going to be several drivers on the grid for the rest of the season that are and maybe you're going to race a little bit more haphazardly than what Rossi expects. But again, I think it goes back is you give it out and you're going to receive it as well. And I think Rossi has, has and not saying it's a negative, but he just, he, he races guys a certain way and guys have adjusted to race him that very same way. Yeah. And I think that's entirely fair. I mean, you have to race with guys and gals, how the, competition presents itself and it's a car that's conducive to you know handling contact too so um it, it, you know especially road and street courses is you know this car can handle it you know um so you're going to see more beating and banging and on a, on a small track like toronto with not a lot of room and runoff you're going to have those issues unfortunately rossi was uh a victim which you know I, I, he shouldn't have that shouldn't have been a a race ending incident for Alexander Rossi. It was a, it was a bump. He should have been able to corral it and continue. Fortunately, he didn't. All right. My third takeaway, we have basically lambasted, right? Is that lambasted? Yeah. Lambasted. Yes. This team, the entire season. Yes, we have. I know you're going to talk about, but Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing. Hey, congratulations, guys. Top five finish for Graham Ray Hall, fourth place. Also, Christian Lungard starting 10th, so a great qualifying position, and finishing eighth. And unfortunately, Jack Harvey uh, started 13th, but finished 19th. But again, all three cars, decent qualifying. Graham qualified 14th. He, he was a legit fast six contender, but as always, there's shenanigans leaving people out in qualifying sessions but again i don't know how to fix it you just have to put together a a better time faster before anything happens on track but overall they had qualifying speed and and apparently a recent sebring test kind of helped them out here but for graham ray hall to carve his way through the field uh, starting midfield as opposed to toward the back of the pack great drive by him not that we expected anything less we thought this guy could be a podium contender. I think what from the first practice session, the yeah. speed was legitimate and it was just a great result for the team. And for Christian Lungard, I mean, he continues to pull away in the, the rookie race. Uh, David Malukas now 20 points back of Lungard and Lungard his last three races has gone 10th, 11th and eighth. So he's been on it. And while Malukas has gotten, I think a lot more attention because I think he had the two fastest race laps this past weekend at Toronto. And he was also coming off a ninth at mid Ohio for his first top 10 finish of the season. But Lungard has been very consistent. He's been solid 16th. He's actually ahead of Elio Castroneves by 10 points in the standings. 
And Graham Ray Hall moving up to 13th with his best result of the season led some laps as well. And look, they're they're getting there. It, is anyone going to finish in the top 10 in points? I don't know unless they have an amazing doubleheader weekend. Right. I don't know if they're going to leapfrog several cars ahead of them. But it looks like Graham Ray Hall's season is back on track. And also the team as a whole finally had some pace for a weekend. Well, it definitely helped, and it was good to see at least one week, and who knows if this is going to continue into this weekend at Iowa, next weekend on the road course at Indy, but at the very least, it was a great try by Graham Rahal. He's able to qualify in the top 15, and for Graham, that it feels like a victory almost in itself because he puts himself behind the eight ball so much on qualifying day, and he legitimately showed pace. I think it was really one of those lost opportunities, as much as we're praising this team, is if Graham Rahal was able to qualify in the Firestone Fast Six, maybe he's competing for a victory because that car was fast and led six laps uh, at Toronto, but was able to bring it home in fourth and get a top five. But, man, if that if that car qualifies closer to the top of the grid, we could be having, at the very least, a top three finish. So... Uh, it was good, but still some room to grow. And I, I think you got to like what you've seen with Christian Lungard. You mentioned it, you know, uh, a guy that that's not wrecking cars. He's a rookie. He's still learning a lot. But to be in the position he is in 16th, and he's got three top 10s and 10 starts this year. I mean, just a smooth drive is kind of what you want to see out of a rookie driver, particularly for a guy that, you know, really didn't have a lot of seat time here in, in North America before coming over. Yeah, and the first Dane to ever start the Indy 500. I mean, yeah, he's, he's got Better that on his cap. resume. Yep, absolutely. My number three? Yes. Let's talk about Honda. I don't want to say Honda dominance or Chevy struggles for the second straight week. And I know Scott McLaughlin won at Mid-Ohio, but what was it? The bottom seven finishers at Mid-Ohio were Chevys. And you look at this past weekend and seven of the top eight finishers were Hondas. So is this something where we're looking at uh, more of a trend or was it you know, back-to-back kind of crappy weekends for Chevy. Do we expect them to bounce back this weekend? Of course, you know, with Joseph Newgarden dominating Iowa the way he has, you'd feel positive. But, you know, Honda, at least with their road and street package the last couple weeks, have had to avoid issues, something that Chevy has not been able to do. And they've been able to show pace, which I don't think Chevy has been able to do consistently. Yeah, I would expect Chevy to reset this weekend and, and have a dominating performance personally. But it was a surprise to see how much Honda cleaned things up. I mean, they they had the top two. You look at the top ten, there were, let's see, one, two, three. Three Chevys. Yeah, Yeah. seven of the the top ten were Honda. So for once, Honda finally gets a win on a Honda-sponsored event Yeah, uh, to kind of turn the tables where Chevy took all the other Honda-sponsored events and their their home race in Detroit as well. It, interesting how this goes back and forth. I mean, it, that that's what the the excitement with the the OEMs is, and that's why we hope eventually we can add a third, and we'll have some news later on that. Or I don't know if it's news or an update of where things stand, but it's it continues to be exciting when these two OEMs battle back and forth because uh, they're the only two we got, and you know, none neither is able to really consistently beat the other. So. Week to week, you know, race to race, it's exciting to watch who has the edge. Yeah, and we'll see how it plays out. Doubleheader at Iowa. And look, Honda is more content to have the Indy 500 win over the 
season championship. They've got what they wanted, right? Yes. Yeah. Chevy's just trying to save some sort of face if they can win either the manufacturer's championship or the season championship. But the crown, the creme de la creme award, right, is the 500. All right. That wraps up our three things. More notes on Toronto and other thoughts. Marcus Erickson, another top five. Oh, it's done. Simon Pagino, who probably, if he qualified better, would have had a better result, uh, finishing in seventh. And Joseph Newgarden. I mean, to finish in tenth, you'd say, oh yeah, it's it's okay. But after he had issues earlier in the weekend, and then finishing in, in tenth. I mean, Penske overall, yes, ninth and tenth, and then Will Power back in fifteenth. Power's never able to move forward, really. Yeah, and Newgarden what started second, third, third. Yeah, so he and, was up there. And McLaughlin six. So Penske surprisingly not as competitive as you would have expected over the course of the weekend. And outside of that, I mean, David Malukas twelfth, another solid run for him, and he is definitely showing uh, between his speed. Uh, first, uh, a fast six appearance for him. That was not his first, but a fast six appearance for him. He, he was trying to make a ten for ten on poles, but couldn't come through as he started in fifth. But again, a great result for him and that team as they possibly expand or who knows what could happen with him. He might be on the radar of some some other teams. I don't know to me if he's done enough to be on the radar for another team. If I feel like he's not going to be a top option for anybody, but you could see plan B, C, or even D include David Malukas for some team. We don't know if, if Dale Coyne Racing with HMD, which is family-owned by the Malukas family, if they're going to stay together, if HMD branches off as their own independent team, does HMD take their support with David Malukas if he goes to another team? A lot of questions, but he's a guy that I feel, as a rookie, has done everything he's needed to do and stay out of trouble. And you know, just the single top ten in the ten starts that he has had. But um, I feel like he's bringing you know cars home in one piece and showing improvement from one weekend to the next. And as a rookie, that's really all you can expect. And. Colton Herta, one other note, got the pole, obviously didn't win the race, but was able to get a, a solid result. Despite uh, vision issues. Yes. So his head his, sock. Yeah, his head sock got gnorkled, if, if that's a word, <laughs> Yeah, and um, was not holding his hair back, and his hair was getting into his eyes. So maybe we'll see a buzzed head Colton Herta when we open up action at Iowa because um, it didn't cause any grave issues, but uh, the hair was giving him trouble there during the race. Yeah. And he was able to uh, fight through it. This is not the first time he's had some weird issues. Didn't he have another issue earlier this season with something in, in the car? Was his, it, well, his hose became detached. Yeah. His home and was a warm race. I can't remember what it was, but at least we've not had any incidents of belts coming undone. Yeah. Ugh. Which is always exciting when you hear that on the radio. Yeah, no no, thank you to that. All right, other notes from the weekend. We didn't have a TV rating because, well, it wasn't on TV, but NBC basically said to Nathan Brown, the results were in line with what we expected. <laughs> okay. I'm whatever guessing, that was yeah, whatever expectation. That, yeah, whatever that is, we're not going to know. Uh, other stuff on Alex Blow over the weekend. That uh, Zach Brown has apparently never seen Pelot's contract, operated under the assumption that he's a, an impending free agent, that from the AP. And then Felix Rosenquist with some interesting post-race comments. 
talking about Plo. At the at the moment, it doesn't sound like he's going to race at all. Yeah, it's up to lawyers and stuff. Honestly, it's not my business at all. I think, honestly, it hasn't really changed anything. This whole deal went down months ago. I didn't know all the details of it that I know now, but nothing has actually changed. I think if Zach was sure I was going to Formula E, he would have already said it. I'm going to take that chance. If there's a chance for me to be here next year, I'm going to try to prove I can do it. I don't mind asking people directly involved with the situation what they think. I don't like the asking of questions that don't pertain to the drivers about outside issues. So I think it was what Joseph Newgarden, Graham Rahal, and somebody else that was in a press conference. Was it Rossi? I think. Could have been uh, because it was the top three in a practice. I think we're in there. That makes sense. Um, you know, and, and media are asking them what they think of the situation and blah, blah, blah. And I just like, I, I don't know who cares what they think and they're not involved in it. So what's it matter? What drivers think about another situation It's just kind of lazy journalism to me. You know, there's plenty of other interesting things you can ask these guys other than, you know, what do you think about what's going on? It's like, you know, what do you expect them to say? And there was kind of some stifled laughter and looked at each other and then there was no comments, which, you know, that's what they should say. And I feel like anybody who is asked be like, that's their business. You know, I don't really care. I will say asking Rosenquist about it, though, yes. is pertinent. Rosenquist is pertinent. Yes. Uh, and, and and I don't know if if the, the Polo deal in terms of the drama is directly tied to Felix Rosenquist. What is tied to him is if indeed Alex Pillow is with McLaren, then how does that affect Felix Rosenquist? So I don't really mind the the question there, but when you're asking random drivers after a practice, what they think about what's going on at Ganassi and McLaren, I'm just kind of like, I, I really don't care. Then another nugget on Pillow from Jenna Fryer, McLaren won't know its lineup for, for 2023. This is talking F1 until the Pillow saga is resolved details on the daniel ricardo seat and his future in the story below and apparently ricardo has an option he has to decide by september and now sebastian vettel's rumored to be <laughs> potentially on the radar of mclaren it seemed to already be squashed but i mean was it squashed by anybody official or just vettel i think by vettel i mean i don't know until things i don't believe anybody what anybody says anywhere at this point about contracts right i mean chip ganassi was pretty confident that alex Pillow wasn't going anywhere Things, weird things tend to happen in the motorsports world. Yes, that is, that is absolutely true. And if Daniel Ricciardo decides that he does not want to be in that second Formula One seat for 2023, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. Again, Alex Plow, right? Or Otto Award, or Sebastian Vettel, or Oscar Piastri. Yeah, all, all options. Legitimate all options. of them. <laughs> Colton Herta. <laughs> right i mean if anyone w- were to to let that happen i would say it would be michael andretti knowing that he, <laughs> he, he can't do anything about well, it that would be the ultimate zach power move is to snake colton herta away from andretti and put him in an f1 seat knowing full well that andretti's trying to start his own formula one team but he's tested True. We, and, we and expect him to be in an FP1 at some point the, the latter half of the year. was uh, impressive, according to what everyone had to say. Oh. And speaking of Formula One, a former Formula One driver is now an IndyCar, Roman Grosjean. Tony DeZeno pointing this out. So Grosjean has been it at all four street courses this year. You he texted has. me that as well. He's You're crashed like, has he crashed four. at all of them? And I he's was crashed like, at all yep. four. Yep. <laughs> 
Nothing so, if not consistent. Yes. And it has been a, a largely consistently disappointing season for him with Andretti. All right. Any other things, any other notes you have for Toronto? No, I am. I am sold. What else we got? All right. Well, with that, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to the email list so you never miss an episode. Also, check out the store. We have stickers and t-shirts for sale. Shout out to Andrew, who just bought a shirt. So thanks for your support. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash record. You know, I had never been on Patreon until like yesterday and I started really? clicking around there and I look up new track record podcast and it can yeah. tell you how many subscribers and how much money they get per month and the different tiers. Cause I always listen to podcasts that always talk about Patreon and I'm like, I wonder how much money they really get into some of these more popular ones that I listen to. So I was clicking around there. It's the first time I've ever been on Patreon. Yeah. Thanks to Rob Xavier and others who are patrons again, four tier levels starting with as little as a dollar a month. So it's very cheap to join we appreciate your support i think the ten dollar tier helps me uh, as it says feed my rich energy habit yes which, that is correct uh, if you're a long time listener of this podcast know exactly what we're talking about that is exactly correct also you can find us on social media our twitter handle indycar podcast same handle on instagram on facebook search for us and like new track record and you can email us new track record podcast at gmail.com and as always Listen to us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and so many others, all for free. Okay, mailbag time, and as always, we have plenty to get to over the course of the past week, and getting back to some stuff from a a week ago, talking about Alex Pillow's stuff. Um, this from Nick J. Fletcher. I've heard that Chip Ganassi had just been signed by McLaren Racing as a reserve driver. Rimmer has it. He's getting FP one time in Spa, so Chip Ganassi has my vote. That's on the poll of Chip versus Zach. Which was very interesting results that we had, by the way. Do you have those? No. Oh. <laughs> oh he, I thought you were going to go into the results. Uh, no, but I can say it was like 70-30 Team Zach is what yes. it was. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was uh, very, very much telling. in favor. Interesting. I don't know if Zach just kept voting with his uh, burner accounts, but um, it was it was interesting. This from Jordan underscore Willman. So we talked about last week on, and you tweeted this about uh, teams making up fake quotes for press releases. He says, as someone who works in the PR comms field, this can come uh, backfire on your organization with legal action and massive fines. Anyone saying this is normal has no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, there was a lot of feedback based on this and that it's not unduly uncommon that marketing and and communications entities make up quotes from people, but they're always signed off on. Yes, that was the part that seemed to be, at least according to Alex Pillow, lacking here. Yes. This from Daniel SCM 2004. The teams are intentionally creating drama ahead of a peacock-only race. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, that that, that was, was the unfortunate, unfortunate part. I didn't. I didn't mind it. Look, I mean, we're gonna probably get into to Peacock talk. I watched it on delay, which I seemingly always do. The race was up within I don't know hour and a half of its 
completion. I tried to go in and see if I could watch it, quote unquote, live and then rewind it and start from the beginning. But you couldn't you couldn't pause live either. Um, So to me, I was like, I'm just going to wait. They need the the red button on the remote if you're a Sky Glass or Sky Sky Q customer. To watch if you in know, real time you know. and highlights. <laughs> it's my yes, favorite th- part. Thanks, Martin Brundle. No, that's Crofty. Is it Crofty? Yeah, that's yeah, Crofty. Good job, Crofty. <laughs> this, people that are listening to that don't know what we're talking about are wondering what yeah. the hell are these guys yeah. talking about. Yeah, if you watch F1, you, you know. know. Yeah, you this, watch Sky uh, Sports. Yes. Yes. Daguerre says, look at Rosenquist's statement in the press release when his new weird contract was announced. He would never ever say or write anything like that. They're not even trying to make it seem like it's him. Yeah, true. But allegedly they sign off on these things. Right. They're supposed to. Scuba Steve 85. Just when you think Ganassi has two top caliber drivers for the future when Dixon retires. <laughs> yeah. Thought so. IndyCar DJ 32. Hashtag team drama over team chip or team Zach. Jeremy from HBG says hashtag hate is good or hashtag any rivals is relevant again for the first time. I love that. <laughs> yes. I miss Indie Rivals. I, I use that hashtag whenever there's drama. Here's the thing, too, and I know there was some some uh, discussion about this and this this drama and, oh, it's not unduly exciting or good for the series or it doesn't draw in new fans and all that stuff. But in this situation, I'm not caring about new fans. I'm caring about current fans that want an infusion of you know, dislike and hatred and drama and rivalry between two teams. And we really haven't had that pure, deep hatred between teams in quite some time. And I'm not worried about, in this case, it drawing more fans in or new fans. I'm talking about all of us who've been in the in the trenches watching this series for years on end going, man, can we get something that shakes the paddock up a little bit in terms of some, you know, vitriol and tension? And dang it, we got it. For once. <laughs> I'll take it. And hope it continues. And back-to-back race weekends. Yes. And I'm fine. And I, I I can guarantee you Zach Brown is fine, too. If McLaren comes out looking more and more like the villain team of IndyCar, because they are able to tap into assets that nobody else in the paddock can, and that includes Team Penske, then I think he embraces it. He's all for it. I don't think he really cares. And no. apparently Zach and Chip haven't gotten along for a bit. I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. Keep it going. Run underscore Mark underscore run. He was our boots on the ground in Toronto, sending us some, some pictures and commentary throughout the weekend. But uh, he sent a picture. Nice weather, good crowd, $14 beers. <laughs> Whoa. Was yeah. it Molson at least? I I don't know. He, he did not specify. Or Labatt's. Did not specify. Labatt Blue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we get to rate the race. And how would you rate this one? I went initially with a 7, and then I dropped it to a 6.5. I think um, it was good. I think there's tension always at Toronto. It was great to be back. The racing, particularly up front, was lacking. Yes, I will go, you know what, I was going to go with a 7.5, but I'm going to reduce it to a 7 because I feel like I've rated every race this year a 7 or 7.5 <laughs> outside of the Indy GP yeah. because that was actually a very entertaining race only because it was run in the rain right. and, and dry and back and forth. I'm going to rant about something here and no, let's I don't rant? think... I don't, me. I don't think people will be very well receiving of this and if you disagree, please, please. 
tweet us, email us, Facebook message, Instagram, Snail, whatever. Let us know. But look, the racing has not been very good compared to what we were used to pre-aero screen era. Now, I am not saying to scrap the aero screen. Let me be very clear. That is not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying, the racing has not been as competitive, especially up front. Obviously, it's a lot harder to follow. You have the extra weight, uh, extra weight of the aero screen. They're working to uh, work around that, I think, what, for next year? Yeah. And then you're going to have the, the hybrid unit, so that will add even more weight to the car. But the car needs some work. The racing, especially up front, has not been very competitive for a couple of years. We had a complete snoozer of a 500, in my opinion. And yes, 2021, the, the 500 was great. It, it's weird, though. It almost feels like the racing is somehow worse this year compared to last year. And it shouldn't be some significant difference because last year they had already had the air screen for a season. So they had the data. Yes, it was limited because the 2020 schedule was limited, but I, I don't understand how it could drop that far. And, and you've pointed this out multiple times. Yes. IndyCar likes to claim they're the most diverse racing series, street course, road course oval, but NASCAR is now next year going to have, Street course with Chicago. They have dirt with Bristol. They're going to have the Coliseum race. Obviously, they race all types of oval tracks. Road courses. Road courses. I mean, you they have to short do Short ovals. They got mile and a half. They got super speedways. They're checking more boxes than IndyCar does. Yes. Now, IndyCar getting Iowa back on the schedule helps a lot right. with that. But you have two short oval tracks. You have a... a one and a half mile track in Texas, yeah, and then you, you have, have IMS. You have one effective super speedway. I don't really consider Indianapolis to be a super speedway. It's not its own. It's its own. Yeah, thing. It's its own. It's its own category. But I agree. And look, there's a difference between parity and competition and actual parity on track, or you know, exciting racing. We we're not saying that IndyCar has become Formula One where only two or three car, two or three teams win. That's not what we're saying. There's still parity in that respect. But on track is lacking in terms of excitement, in terms of passing, especially up front. And I understand that part of it is the aero screen. I understand that. Um, I understand the weight of the car. But the fact of the matter is there's a problem and it needs solved. And if we're the only ones saying it, then so be it. But I think other people that just blindly continue to talk about IndyCar being the most competitive in the world, I think are mistaken. Now, I don't think it's the most competitive on race days than other series. I know the contrived green-white checker of NASCAR is 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 derided by IndyCar fans, but take that away, and I'm still seeing more excitement in the closing laps of, of cup races than I am IndyCar races over the last couple of years. That's just facts. And people may disagree. That's fine. And people may say, oh, you know, it's bumping and, you know, so what? We saw plenty of bumping at Toronto. Yeah. We saw plenty of bumping in mid-Ohio. We did. So don't come at us saying that Indy cars aren't beating and banging. Obviously not at the the level of stock cars, but they're doing an Indy car. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, I feel like the the movers and shakers in Indy car know there's a problem, knows that the racing has taken a step back. Now, safety has taken a tremendous step forward. Yes. With the aero screen. And I would still make this decision every day of the week. I would still, yes, yes, aero screen, and we'll take a step back with the racing for a couple of years. But it is something that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. 
All right, let's rattle through uh, Rate the Race uh, ratings. People submitted DC Soda 7. Only drama at the front was on pit sequences. Some good action throughout the field, though. But once again, Dixon winning means it was a bit boring. I mean, real quick, yeah. the reason why we hear so much about undercuts and overcuts is because there's lack of passing in the, t- in the front. True. And it's it works th- that's for That's the storyline, right? That's, that's what you have to focus on when, by and large, nobody can pass each other for the lead. That's what we hear in, in Formula One all the time. Why? Because there's not a lot of passing in front. And in fact, Formula One has had more passes up front than IndyCar has this year. Really? Yes. In terms of passes for the lead, in terms of passes, you know, top five, I can I can ring off more dramatic moments between leaders on track in Formula One this year than I can IndyCar. If someone has the data, I'd, I'd love to see it. Prove I'm, me I'd, wrong I'd, if yeah. you can. Yeah. Uh, Hunter's Way 67, given an eight, another crazy Toronto race. Turn three, there, uh, there is awesome. Always good action at the end of Lakeshore. Just hope Green Savory can figure out a way to get the old pit lane back to open up the turns 9, 10, 11 complex for some better runs into turn one. Yes, I agree there. Pit lane just was very funky, I guess is how I would describe it. Poet Shevchenko, Dixon made the IndyCar season official with a win. I give it a nine. Best street race of the year so far. Lots of drama leading into the race that showed and the promise of more to come. VK and Award even gave us an on-track pass for the lead. Yes, that is true. It was also off-sequence. <laughs> uh, Jeremy from HPG, eight and a half. The coverage being better, way fewer breaks. They held true to the three-minute in-race breaks, by the way. Watching yes, live, that it was, was nice. I mean, there was, was a true. solid 20-lap sequences with no breaks. It was it was. It was very nice. It was the flow of the race felt a heck of a lot better. Now we're not we're not advocating this happens all the time on NBC. No, okay. We're just saying it was nice on Peacock. And Jeremy from HBG goes on to say, in the less shouty Kevin Lee twenty three at the helm really added to what was a great experience. Personally, I I like Kevin. I also like Lee Diffie. I, I, I miss like Lee. Lee Diffie. I like Lee's energy. Now sometimes it can be a little contrived. Sometimes especially late in races that aren't as exciting as he mm-hmm. likes to try to make them out to be. But his job is to make things True. exciting. I think Lee Diffie's great. Run underscore Mark underscore run uh, 14 for the $14 beers of the track. Felt like a big <laughs> crowd. Everything went pretty smoothly. Sight lines aren't great, but still nice to have the race back. Hoping for 2023 and beyond P Gaynor 14 gave it an eight. Ironically, I think if there wasn't all the extra cautions after the Rossi incident, I think it would have been a crazier finish and better race because of fuel mileage. ECR had really played the strategy well until the gamble failed. Zach C8771, I'll give it a 7. Happy to be back in Toronto after some doubt if it would ever return to the calendar. There's a little bit of a, uh, lack of action at the front, but just enough intrigue throughout to keep it from being boring. Probably a 6 or 6.5 with more commercials added. LOL. <laughs> According to Sitch, give it a 9. I'm Analog, give it a 2 for Peacock. It kept airing out on my end. Race was a solid 8. The track looks painful to go around, though. BK Hickey, 10 plus. Sigdomer, absolute 10. Great race. Uh, Hunter J. Smith, 03, 8. Glad to see Toronto back. Broadcast and race were fantastic. Need a new pit lane, though. Perhaps create a stadium section. Go through BMO Field, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Um, see that in the budget. No. Uh, Zaxi8771 adds, if Peacock means limited commercials like that every time, put all the races exclusively there, LOL. Uh, Obviously, he's kidding everyone. He's absolutely kidding. Uh, finishing position that surprised people the most. Fit J nineteen eighty three said New Garden just baffling that a season has been decided by uncharacteristic pit errors in strategy. 
And yes, uh, he's won so many races, but like we've said, he's still not leading the points. Very much feast or famine for the majority of the season for Joseph. So in, in a look at the results of that poll, uh, 35% said Newgarden, 33% Ray Hall, 21% Rossi, 11% said Lungard. Uh, the final results of that poll. This from uh, Nick J. Fletcher. Some stats for Dixon. And this, this includes the 0304 Toyota disaster. Podium mm-hmm. 39% for his career. Laps led 14%. Win 16%. Average start 6.7. Average finish 7.2. Finish outside the top six and points two times. That was 0304. That would have been 04 because 2003 he won the title. Right. So he he's done it again. Not that not that this is a surprise. Uh, and then Graham Rahal had this tweet, Tony DeZeno talking about how F1 and NASCAR have taken some risks. Uh, Graham says, Tony, be patient. I had the same concerns, but recently learned otherwise. Stay patient. They're on it. And NJ, uh, Nick J. Fletcher says, I guess it's safe to say that Ducati is the third OEM. Graham brokered the deal after opening his Ducati dealership in Indy. <laughs> Obvious. Um but yeah, what is Graham talking about? Yeah, what do you feel he could be talking about? Are they going to try to take a swing at a unique venue of some sort? Do we expect some sort of radicalized changes to the body kits for next year? Third OEM? Could it be? Uh, I just don't know if that. A special event that fits. they're adding? Yeah, I, I don't know. But I think. Look, I want. IndyCar to think outside the box, I really do, but Formula One and and NASCAR are in better financial positions to try something and absolutely whiff on. And I know some people were like, well, you know, Roger Penske's a billionaire, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't become a billionaire by robbing Peter to pay Paul. He's not taking money out of other ventures to finance IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So he's, we're working with what that budget is. And it's substantially smaller than NASCAR and Formula One. It just is. So I feel like IndyCar can't take the risks that those two other entities do. But hopefully this um, tweet by Graham Rahal insinuates that something out of left field is coming to really kind of uh, give some, some IndyCar folks some excitement after what we've seen with Formula One and their impact and now... Next year, we'll have three races in the United States, and you know, Cup is racing in a Los Angeles Coliseum, and now they're going to race through the streets of Chicago, which none of us ever thought would ever happen, ever. And you know, maybe something happens to where it doesn't happen, and maybe it's one and done. But the fact that they've gotten this far is shocking in itself. So, can IndyCar up the ante and maybe steal some headlines with some of their own surprising announcements? Polishevchenko adds on the the reply to Graham's tweet. Uh, it will be a two mile super speedway located overseas with all the cars powered uh, by the third OEM engine. <laughs> yeah. If they can check all those boxes at once, that would be great. And then one other entry on rate the race uh, that I missed from Xavier Jackson on Twitter, Zave Jackson 32, the handle eight great racing strategy cautions kept it entertaining and nice to see it back in Toronto. I think overall, yes, nice to be back in Toronto is is the theme. And then one other tweet to get to 
who leads the most laps this weekend at Iowa and 500 Indy 1911 says you heard it here first. An ECR car will win one of the races. Well, Connor's a strong qualifier there. They had a good test. He was on pole there, right? Uh, he was. Connor? Yeah. Back yes. at one of the races in 2020. So, yeah, I mean, it's a legitimate pick and this I was just have zero confidence in picking Ed Carpenter to win a race. At yeah. This point. Joseph Newgarden, 60% though of the vote. As far as leading the most laps, the field forty percent. Well, he lead, he has led something over about twelve hundred and fifty. Yeah, laps. We'll, we'll get to that in our Iowa preview. But yes, it's not even close yeah. compared to what other people have done. As always, you can tweet us, Facebook message, Instagram message. Uh, you can email us, snail mail. As always, Telegram be part. Yeah, Telegram. Telegram. <laughs> part of the mailbag okay news and notes time plus a preview of iowa to wrap things up some notes from the mailbag this week i think we've both been very curious on gateway and what to expect for the bomberito 500 since they added nascar the nascar race ran back in early june and chris blair right that is his name chris blair the promoter of the event He said, we're even with 2019 sales pre-pandemic and ahead of last year's sales. And last year, a major team sponsor that since left the series bought a thousand tickets. Now they went away. So we're actually ahead. The NASCAR event helped draw lots of positive attention to the track. That uh, courtesy of the racer mailbag and Marshall Pruitt. And the other note from the mailbag talking about the schedule, Marshall says, we're a month or more away from all the contracts being finalized. NBC having its broadcast options solidified presented at IndyCar to lock down the calendar for 2023. I've heard what's coming could be nearly identical to what we have this year. Same early start, same pre-NFL end, 17 races again, the same tracks. I don't think that's a surprise. That's everything we've been hearing. It's fairly late in the game, and I know it's only mid-July to be talking potential ads to the schedule without any type of leaks, right? As, you know, any concrete you know, reports from a Marshall Pruitt or Nathan Brown about looking at Homestead or looking at um, anywhere else. And, and in the mailbag, too, you know, the Milwaukee idea was fairly shot down by Marshall Pruitt, despite the, you know, murmurings of that earlier this year. It doesn't sound like that's anywhere close to happening, if it ever does. Yeah, Argentina. Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think either one are going to be on the schedule next year. No. It, that that's 2024 at the earliest. Okay. So that's a, a look at the mailbag. Okay. Third OEM time, our favorite topic. Oh, we need some, just a nice jingle to, to, <laughs> to play while we talk about third OEM brought to you by Toyota. <laughs> still Marshall Pruitt racer.com Toyota, still the strongest candidate to be the third supplier. According to Roger Penske. I didn't know this. He is the world's largest Toyota dealer. So that plays into the negotiations, I'm sure. Doesn't Penske hurt. told Racer, we still have an ongoing conversation with Toyota. Bob Carter, who is Toyota's EVP of sales, is now retired. So we're working with the new management team there. But also, you can't snap your fingers and expect to have an engine manufacturer commitment right away. Obviously, this is not going to be for 2023 and probably not going to be for 2024. Apparently, there's a clause... Marshall says it exists to require a new engine manufacturer to give notice to the series and existing suppliers 24 months in advance. Uh, That would push everything to 2025. However, racer understands the notification window can be shortened. If all parties agree on 
the matter. Penske says, we hope at some point we can make a deal with them. I'm not saying we have a deal at all, but we're working on it. I feel like the worst thing too is when you have a management change as well. So, you know, goals and, you know, vision and priorities are going to be sometimes completely different or at least subtly changed between management regimes. So the fact that IndyCar was, you know, negotiating with one chief of Toyota and now has to do it with somebody else, that can really set things back a little bit. Or maybe it helps in some ways. So we'll see. I think there's nothing to see here. It's just, it's nice, I guess, to get an occasional update, but it's nothing that's going to get us excited or anything at this point. Yeah, and the update from IndyCar Deep Throat, uh, Toyota seems to have issues with certain agreements and outlines for the new OEM engine regulations. Toyota wants everything agreed upon with regards to new regulations around OEM before confirming. So basically, I, I asked, so things with Honda and Chevy have already agreed to maybe the issues for Toyota. And the response was, sounds like it. So it almost feels like you, you have to scrap everything and start over. Yeah, which you, you can't do. No. Because Honda and Chevy are already developing those engines to those specs. So you can't be changing the, the goalpost, so to speak, just for a third OEM. So it's almost like, you know, IndyCar is going to lay out these are the parameters of what you need to fill. And if if Toyota's like, no, what about this? It's like, well, it's kind of too late because Honda and Chevy have already signed off and are already working on the specs for that new engine. So that's the third OEM update. Brought to you by Toyota. Yes, brought to you by Toyota. All right, let's talk Iowa Speedway. The yes, let's. The Hy-Vee doubleheader weekend. So we have the, the official names of these races we have on Saturday. The Hy-Vee Deals.com 250 presented by DoorDash. Then on Sunday, the Hy-Vee Salute to Farmers 300 presented by Google. It's a mouthful. But the track looks great. They have the, those like suites set up that Hy-Vee yeah, has. Yeah, put up, amazing. which they say are permanent, semi-permanent. Yeah, they look um, pretty permanent. Pretty pretty impressive. Hy-Vee all over the place. I mean, they're fully backing this thing. Got DoorDash involved. Got Google involved. You know, the concerts, if you like country music, are, are top-notch both days before and after each race. There, I saw... a. I think the Des Moines Register said something they anticipate 30,000 per day. Yes. Yeah, they're expecting a near sellout, 30,000 for each day. So the schedule for the weekend as we we get to that and also what you need to know. So on Friday, 4.30 to 6, again, all these are Eastern time, Peacock uh, practice. Then on Saturday, 10.30 to 1145 qualifying. This will be the, they've done this in the past. So you get two laps. First lap race. one is mm-hmm. for first race qualifying. Lap two is for second race. Pretty simple. I like it actually, because when it first started, I thought, well, that's going to be pretty similar, you know, for lap one and lap two, but it far from it. I mean, you get a wiggle on one and you're starting way back, but you do a, a fine, you know, lap two, then you're going to be up front second race and vice versa. So I kind of like it. It goes pretty fast, which I don't hate. Sometimes, Look, I love qualifying on road and street courses. Sometimes it drags. Yes, d- depending on the number of incidents, of course. Yeah. Four to six NBC broadcast. Four oh six green flag for race one. Then on Sunday for the high V salute to farmers 300 presented by Google. Three to six NBC broadcast window green flag at 
3.30 Eastern. Again, on NBC, Peacock, IndyCar Radio, all the IndyCar Live for International, all the available outlets, same as always. 250 laps for race one, 300 laps for race two. And Ed Carpenter will be taking part this weekend in the 33 machine. Again, the 11 car, we don't expect to see that back. That would have been J.R. Hildebrand, not entered into the race this weekend. And a couple of livery notes for you, Team Penske. Scott McLaughlin has a Freightliner livery livery that looks really, really cool. And then uh, Ray Hall, uh, Letterman Landing and Racing, will have Shield Cleansers with Lungard. They'll have High Rock Vodka with Graham Ray Hall. And then a red High V car for Jack Harvey that looks really slick. And uh, with that, we get into our three things plus some some bonus things from Chad 200 <laughs> on Twitter. There's a lot of good data here. So only one of 15 races have been won from pole. Dixon and Power, seven poles, 13 top fives, 261 laps led, zero wins in 28 starts. Ooh. New Garden is last eight Iowa finishes, second, second, first, sixth, fourth, first, fifth, first, 1,150 total laps led. So you get into how wild that is. Next highest on the list, Elio at 267. Rossi has led four laps in the last seven races. Ray Hall, 20. Daly, 17. Dixon, 5. Power, 99. Pagano, 98. Remember, Pagano won one of those in 2020 back when he was with Penske. So as far as the, the team laps led that he continues on with. So Penske, 1,158. And the last five races that they've led, uh, Arrow McLaren eighty six, Ray Hall sixty five, Ed Carpenter thirty eight, wow. Ganassi twenty three, Andretti eleven. Remember, Andretti dominated this event for years, right? From two thousand seven to what, like twenty fourteen, roughly. And coming off what was a disappointing weekend in Toronto, I expect Team Penske to have a great weekend this week. Yes. So let's just pick two, since it okay. is a doubleheader. Obviously, we're both picking New Garden for one of them, right? Yes, I'll take <laughs> New Garden for one. Not sure if it's Saturday or Sunday, but that's one of my picks. Who will you take for the second? I'm going to go with Pato Award. Okay. Who are you going to go with? <sighs> Man. Um, not a bad pick, actually. Until he wins a race, I feel like um, he's got to win sometime, just like Scott Dixon did last week. I'm going Alex Pillow. All right, I thought you were going to say Rossi for a second. No, but. I'm giving up on Alexander Rossi. <laughs> All right, and uh, with Iowa, so very important to make your fantasy picks this week because you could win tickets to any 2023 IndyCar race. Uh, a pair of tickets, uh, the, the player who participates in IndyCar Fantasy Challenge with the highest combined score from the two races. We'll get a, a pair of tickets plus a one-year subscription to Racer Magazine and a Racer goodie bag. Nice. Oh, pretty cool Pretty cool prize. I actually had a good good result, good weekend yeah, in we Toronto. Yeah, we were, what, 2-3 or 1-2 yeah. or something like that? 2-3, two, three, two, three. I think. Yeah. Now, my uh, my 500 picks didn't save, so I'm like 29th overall, but it was nice to have at least one solid week. Yeah, for once, I, I felt like I actually did something, which was nice because oh, you know. I had a, a solid run of... 20 plus worse finishes. Now, is that in life or just in picks that you finally felt like you achieved something? Wow. Brutal. <laughs> I'm just asking. I just, you know, maybe you have low expectations and that, you know, that I expect to succeed. Okay. Just like anyone else. Excellent. 
That's the spirit. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> Some fire over there. All right. Tony Kanaan, you see this? He, he tested a midget car on the dirt track at IMS. Yeah. Not sure if we'll see him in the race, but hey, it looked cool. And it's cool that he got to do that as they get ready for the BC 39 early in August. And did you see this, Justin? Kiffin Simpson moving teams in Indy I Lights. I did see that. So leaving TJ Speed will be with HMD. They'll have six entries this weekend at Iowa. I'm kind of excited to watch the Indy Lights race at Iowa. Yeah. it's. I mean, they weren't in Toronto, so we, right? we get them and back. And it's their first oval. I think they're doing Gateway, too, I want to say. And this basically, so you think the Alex Below situation had a rift? Well, this one also seems to have had a rift between Simpson, who's, remember, a Ganassi development driver, right. now partnering with HMD for the rest of the season. So keep that in mind with everything there. IndyCar and IMS have named a new uh, medical director. The former director, Dr. Jeffrey Billows, will retire at the end of the season. And Dr. Julia Visor, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, first woman to hold either role in the series, and IMS will take over from him. So congrats to her, and congrats to him on his upcoming retirement. A couple other notes to get to. Tom Blomquist, I hope I said that correctly. He'll get a, a test in a Meyer Shank IndyCar team. He's been with their sports car team. And that will Probably be... Probably nothing for next year. It sounds like Pagano and Castroneves will be in those two seats yes. next year, but potentially for 2024, maybe. We'll see how that test goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It doesn't say anything as far as a track that this will take place at now. Would not surprise me if that track was mid-Ohio, simply because, well, that's the home track for Meyer Shank. Yes. That would be my guess. Chip Ganassi at the MLB All-Star Game. I saw that and got Jim some Aiello, TV time. A former IndyCar beat writer for the Indy Star, uh, tweeting that out. But yeah, I did not expect that to happen. Yeah, we'll take it. All right, tweets of the week time. And we have several, a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Tony Kanaan, welcome teammate. That was from the contact between Rossi and Rosenquist. I won't like this tweeted. Can't believe that the IndyCar race is only being streamed behind a $5 paywall. What a ripoff. I'll never get in, give in to the man. Now, excuse me while I spend 45 bucks on White Castle. That's being DoorDash <laughs> from two blocks away. <laughs> and this from Marshall Pruitt. Cost of one gallon of gas down the street from where we live, $5.49. Cost of one month of the streaming service required to watch Sunday's IndyCar race, $4.99. And then the, the gif of the, the woman shouting at the cat thing, you know, that meme. It's a gif of that. So, yes, I, that, that is how we feel about that. Well, it's interesting how people are selective in what they complain about what they have to spend their money on. It's $5. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it, you can't even get a Starbucks drink besides black coffee for much right. cheaper than I mean, $5. Even most, most, you know, gourmet coffee now is $5 and above. And one other note, I... I did not get to, but th this is wild. This is from Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com. An IndyCar team could be Porsche's 963 GTP customer team and not who you would think, AJ Foyt Racing. Wow, that'd be cool. So I do think it would help AJ Foyt Racing to branch out into other racing disciplines. So they're apparently close to becoming Porsche's second IMSA customer for 2023. If the deal goes through, it'd be spearheaded by J.R. Hildebrand. Would it be based in Texas or Indiana? Does not say. Because as you know, AJ Foyt Racing in two different places. Part of the reason why they struggle. 
One team is in Texas, one team is in Indy, and the third team, did we ever figure that out where the third team was? One of the two. I would guess in... I don't know what to Indy? guess. In, I, in a, I, I really don't know. Reason. I have no clue. I have no idea. Um, before we move forward, wanted to, to do this um, this weekend. Yeah. Sage Karam returns to Pocono Raceway with Xfinity, and there's a great story on speedsport.com about uh, both the uh, Sage Karam returning and his... Uh, issues with Noah Gragson. Uh, I think it was at Road America they came uh, to blows. And, and basically tying in that uh, issue and incident with the 2015 incident, of course, that, that killed Justin Wilson at the IndyCar race in Pocono. And if you remember, it was Sage Karam's debris from his car that made contact with the helmet of Justin Wilson that uh, ultimately took his life one day later. So uh, Sage Karam, you know, commenting on that and said, you know, I, and I think he's done this already. I think he said, you know, when I get there, I'm just going to take a a ride around on my bike around the track and kind of, um, you know, reminisce and, and maybe exercise some demons and stuff like that. But uh, it'll be emotional for, for Sage Karam to return to uh, what was a very, very sad day for IndyCar. And thankfully, the, the race will air after IndyCar, USA Network, 6 Eastern for the Xfinity Series race on Saturday. So... No conflict with IndyCar if you want to catch him. Excellent. All right. We've done Tweets of the Week. We've done uh, everything else. It's time for, I think, our favorite segment. You Random know what Split that means. Era Driver of the Week time. And who is it this week? We're going to 2003, and we're going to go to the IndyCar Series. Last week, we went kart. This the, week, the Indy Racing the League. The Indy Racing League, excuse me. Uh, but it was actually, it adopted the IndyCar series name in 2003. It was called the IRL IndyCar series. <laughs> it was. It's true. Uh, but we're going to go to Scott Mayer. I've heard of him. No. PDM yes, Racing. Yes, absolutely I have. Scott Mayer, uh, born in 1964, Franklin, Wisconsin. He participated in the first three races of the 2003 IRL IndyCar Series season for PDM Racing. We know what PDM is? Poor, dumb mechanics. Correct. It was uh, a racing team in IndyCar and USAC Silver Crown owned by Paul Dyatlovich and was always a low-budget team and affectionately or unaffectionately dubbed Poor, Dumb Mechanics by one of its former owners but scott mayer in true poor dumb mechanics fashion um he crashed in all three of his races in 2003 they were at homestead phoenix and motegi twin ring in japan did not qualify for the 500 that year he actually tried to qualify for uh chicagoland the year before for pdm racing and did not qualify finished 31st in points in 2003 and then tried to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 with AJ Foyt in 2005 and did not. After that, it was a couple years messing around in WeatherTech sports car series in the mid 2010s. Um, did a sprint cup race in 2012 with inception Motorsports. Watkins Glen. Yeah. Finished 18th. That's not too bad, but uh, claim to fame now, his son Sam races stock cars, uh, was signed by JR Motorsports, which is owned by Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, was signed by a fi- as a 15-year-old for the 2018 season, won back-to-back championships in the NASCAR Canon Pro Series East Series in 2019 and Arca Menard Series in 2020. So maybe we will see Sam uh, in stock cars at some point. 
But um, that's Scott Mayer. This week's random split era driver of the week for PDM Racing, which is a a treasure trove of random split era drivers oh, yeah. of the week. Absolutely, we, we often go to the um, the pipeline of PDM Racing for our feature. Ed Carpenter once drove for PDM. One of the few that people have actually heard of. And Sam Hornish Jr. I can't believe you heard from about Scott Mayer. Yeah, of course I've heard of him. 2003 IRL. I mean, that is fully in my wheelhouse. It's t- yeah, it's tough. Like, like when you get into the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, that's when it becomes you and I, as obscure as they are, we know them all. Yes. Right? Now, if you... Give us Richie Hearn yes. and, you know, Buddy Rice. I mean, Buddy Rice and the 500 winner. It's tough. But Jimmy Kite and Alex Barron and... You know, it's oh, just, yeah. it's great. Billy Boat, Robbie McGee. Oh, it's amazing. Tiago Medeiros. Oh. He also raced for PDM. There, there's a lot of great, a lot of great names blast from the past on that team. You, you got to go. You have to be sneaky. You got to go like IRL in the in the nineties, yeah. late nineties or, or two thousand two. Cart between, you know, not it has to be like two thousand or before. Yeah. It's a very. I'm surprised we've gotten this far. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but I have because it's a narrow couple years that you can choose from. You could also sneak in some champ car like 2006 or seven. There'd be some people I True. definitely would not have heard of. True. And I even watched some of those races. So <laughs> maybe next week I'll we'll do see. some digging. Next week we'll be back. We'll have a recap of the double header this weekend at Iowa Speedway. But hey, plus we'll be celebrating five years of the podcast. Holy next week. smokes! Yeah. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do to celebrate, but just know. pointing that out next Send week. Send us money. <laughs> yeah. Next <laughs> week is five years of the podcast. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hash. Thanks for joining us once again on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.